Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 30 of season one of This Osteopathic Life. Another milestone moment as we come nearer to the one-year mark and keeping relatively on track, though every other week seems to be the more appropriate flow for the podcast at this point, and I'm embracing it, not forcing it. This topic came to me and was prepared a week ago, but the timing was never quite right, and then I acquired this cold, and my voice was never quite right, and it still maybe isn't, but I'm going to proceed anyway. And if you were with me last time, we were in the Denver airport on an extended stay, unexpected, but embraced nonetheless, and it allowed for the recording of episode 29. Now I'm in my office with a little bit of an opening, secondary to a shift in schedule, and I'm embracing it and finding the space in the day that has been gifted to me to make this happen. And I'm sitting looking out at spectacular colors. It's been a most amazing autumn here in Ashland, Oregon, likely thanks to the beautiful summer that we had with increased precipitation and fewer days of smoke and minimal days of triple-digit temperatures. And I've been super grateful and really enjoying being outside. And the idea for this episode actually came to me during that fellowship trip um, where I was going at the time I got stuck in Denver and I did make it and I didn't miss any of the course and I made it home without any delays so that all worked out rather well and it took place in Philadelphia and I had a moment where I was running along Boathouse Row and for any who have been there and maybe who have any experience with rowing or sculling or sweeping And just this past weekend, the head of the Charles Regatta took place in Boston, which is a big moment for North American rowing. And as I ran and just took in the scenery and the river and the buildings and the historical, still young by the measures of many parts of the world, but old relative to our nation, kind of the first official history and kind of the birthplace of medicine and hospitals and medical schools, I was just taken back, you know, to some of my intentions and thoughts about college and the experience, excuse me, and thinking about potential kept coming up. And some of that was brought to our attention very directly in the fellowship as we were meant to be contemplating and exposed to some of the opportunities we might have as participants in the Osteopathic Health Policy Fellowship. And what is our potential as a fellow in the program, as a graduate of the program. And we were given experiences of graduates in their outcomes 
and life-changing experience from being in the fellowship, and that was very inspiring and encouraging. And all given the chance to contemplate that for ourselves and our course directors posing to us, you know, what is it that brings you here and what are you going to do with the experience that you have? And looking to me with some of these recordings and book ideas and blog entries, thinking, what is it that you're going to do, you know, with this information? And that's something I think I will find throughout the course of the year. That's I feel I'm there to learn new skills and to understand where my gifts and talents and interests and abilities could be best utilized. Um, and also to begin to hone in on, you know, what is the potential for my future as a health policy fellow, as a physician, as a parent, as a coach, as a human, and what is it for any of us? And as I've said with most of my episodes, the investigation into this idea always becomes so fascinating to me in the different ways that it can go. And if I'm thinking about the health of all things, as is the purpose of this osteopathic life and my practice and what I hope we're all bringing kind of to our consciousness a little more regularly and clearly, what is the potential for health? You know, and how do we encourage it? When do we stand in the way of it? And of course, that brings me to some definitions and some basic ones and some interesting ones and some that brought me back to basic sciences, which has its own uh, nostalgia of a different sort, maybe not quite so romantic of times in undergraduate and early days of medical school. But thinking just baseline about potential, the first is expressing possibility and I appreciate that on so many levels. I think about it with my patients. You know, what is their potential to be well? What is their potential for health? And it could be very broad and it could change moment to moment and person to person. But there is an element of possibility in all of us. The next step from that definition is existing impossibility capable of development into actuality. And this is a place where I often get stuck, and I think many of us often get stuck, right? We have so much potential. There are so many possibilities for who we can become and what we can do and how we can create things. But that taking it into reality, that manifesting step, can be so challenging. And here I am, a week later than I hoped to be for this podcast, where it held its potential, it was there, it was ready to be created. And it was capable of being taken to actuality, but it didn't on the timeline that I expected. And so it took a little extra space. It took an unexpected cancellation. It took me accepting that my voice might sound a little nasally on this recording and that being okay, rather than seeking, quote unquote, perfect. But what stands in the way? And maybe that's the next follow-up question I need to be more direct about with my patients. What is your potential for health? You know, what do you see? What's your vision of health? What do you feel you're capable of? And then what stands between that potential and actuality? And we 
talk about seeing ourselves well, you know, picturing the best version of you and picturing it happening, right? And getting really specific. It's on this day and I'm wearing these clothes and I'm with these people and I'm eating this food and it tastes like this and the sky looks this way. And picturing it all happening. And then what can we do to move ourselves into that space? You know, taking action, adjusting our standards, you know, that done is better than perfect mantra or saying, if I can officially call it a mantra, that helps us to move forward and recognize that we can perhaps still make adjustments. In the Harvard Business Review, which comes up more and more, and I think maybe a resource that I'll investigate as I move through this fellowship particularly, says there's nothing anyone can do to prevent you from reaching your potential. The challenge is for you to identify your dream develop the skills to get there, and exhibit character and leadership. Then you need to have the courage to periodically reassess, make adjustments, and pursue a course that reflects who you truly are. And so it's straightforward enough, right? So number one is we have to identify what our goal is, what the dream is, what's the dream of health, what's the dream of health in business, what's the dream of health in relationships. Recognize that we probably need some skills, to get us there. You know, if we're not there yet, you know, perhaps one reason is we don't have the right skills to get there. So how do we develop them? And for me, that's why I'm in the fellowship this year. I know there's more that I have to give in the realm of promoting osteopathic principles for the health of all things. And I've tried different avenues and I feel that this realm of policy and politics and awareness of the procedures that are involved in promoting health on a bigger scale, I don't have the knowledge and I don't necessarily have the skills in that arena. So I'm working on getting them and exhibit character and leadership, you know, acting in the way that's going to move me forward in that arena. And this next piece I think is so critical and maybe also what can give us permission to start moving forward, to start going from possibility to actuality is knowing that we can reassess, but that it takes courage to come back to say, are we doing well? Am I moving in the right direction? Did I get the right skills? Am I using them appropriately? Am I practicing them often enough? And be willing to make adjustments and then recognize if you start to move off course and it doesn't align with your core values or your ultimate vision, to be willing to step back and redirect. And I'll say in this last year in our family, And I had the opportunity to have this reflected back to me last night and talking with a fellow parent here in Ashland. You know, we moved. We came to Ashland for very specific reasons, you know, a realignment of schooling needs and professional needs and social needs. And a lot of it was really great and it met us where we needed to be. And then it didn't. You know, we hit some social challenges and environmental challenges and family needs that took us back to our state of origin and we're there and on a course and many things seemed really well aligned and appropriate and big decisions were made and it just wasn't working and certainly I don't recommend transcontinental moves repeatedly to anyone but I can say that keeping an open ear and a willingness to understand when it's you, you know, could we control and make adjustments that would allow us to fit better in our environment or 
did we need to say, actually, we were best aligned there and these are the things that we need to shift to successfully live there and be in community and be willing to listen for that. And it's scary and it's overwhelming and it can be frustrating, but it's also encouraging to know that there's always room for fine-tuning or if you're a string instrument player like myself, turning those pegs or replacing a whole string because something isn't just quite hitting the note right. Um, So I think that's important and I think that's something I need to keep reminding myself of and interesting that I did it on such a big scale, right? I was making these big changes for the health of my family on a massive scale, you know, thousands of miles and big life changes. But sometimes for these four minor things, it's harder for me to be able to make those adjustments. Um, starting to practice that in each part of my life. So coming back to where I investigated potential, and interesting, I originally thought of just the word by itself. You know, what is my potential in the fellowship? What is my patient's potential for health? What is your potential as a listener you know, for health, personally, professionally, and otherwise? But what came up as I started to look into it was the idea of potential energy. And when I think of this, you know, I think of science classes for sure. But to be honest, I also think about Super Mario Brothers and the original Nintendo. And when Mario or Luigi, you would hold him down and he would kind of turn colors and he could jump higher, right? So that's often what I think when I think of potential energy, just for fun. But when I look at the definition of potential energy, it states this. The energy possessed by a body, by virtue of its position relative to others, stresses within itself, electric charge, and other factors. And I sat with that for a while, and it's so interesting to me, because of course, we don't exist in isolation, right? We've been talking through the course of this podcast about treating to the whole, the whole person, but the bigger whole of everything, you know, the whole universe and our connection and our continuity and our fluidity with everything around us. And potential energy of anything is relative to its position to others. So it matters, you know, how we relate to others, you know, how are we picturing ourselves above or below, beside, beyond, and it can change. It changes our potential energy. You know, if we think about a ball rolling, the distance, if it's above something, you know, it's greater than if it's below. And I just think it's so important to keep relationships at the forefront. And I mean that physiologically within a person, looking at how the systems relate and how the musculoskeletal system, of course, relates to the cardiovascular system in the body when we're seeing a patient for example, or for me right now, how are lymphatics affected in the upper respiratory tracts by the musculoskeletal system or vice versa? And how can we have an influence on that? <clears throat> but also ourselves in our community and in society, you know, our potential energy is influenced by the relationships we have and how we're oriented to those around us. In the second part of this that says stress is within itself. And this is referring to things on you know, a cellular level and a mechanical level. But I can't help, excuse me, but think about this so acutely in my own life and that of my patients when I see them struggling, you know, and bearing witness from one step removed, I can see them more objectively than they can see themselves. 
and knowing, knowing inherently and knowing based on hearing their story and past successes, how much potential they have, how much potential energy they might hold. And they could be inhibited by relationships externally, their position relative to others, but more often are inhibited by the stresses within themselves. And certainly for me, right? One of the biggest hangups and just a simple getting the podcast out in one week instead of two largely had to do with my own internal organization and management of tasks and sense of overwhelm. We have so many things to do rather than do one at a time and accept that, you know, some might not be as perfect as you might like not doing any, you know, and I've been there and, you know, I, I do better with certainly external deadlines, but self-motivation, you know, I work on and understanding that the way we manage stress internally has a huge impact on what we're able to produce our possibility and taking that possibility into actuality. Electric charge, again, kind of on an energy level. And for me, sleep has always been a challenge. I've definitely rolled in that realm of, I don't need that much sleep. You know, I can get by without it, but I got sick and probably because I haven't been sleeping well enough maybe because of travel, somewhat because of exposures from my children. <coughs> and ironically, I treated them, and they moved through their illness much more quickly. So physician, treat thyself, or get a colleague to treat thyself. So thinking about how we're managing our energy, and I recently read a book that was recommended during a conference where I was a speaker, and one of my fellow panelists recommended this book called Stress Less, Accomplish More by Emily Fletcher, who's the founder of Ziva Meditation. I'll put a link to that in the show notes here. I haven't tried it yet, but her foreword is written by Mark Hyman and says it changed his life and improved his energy and wellness and productivity. And so I'll be curious once I am able to implement it. I just made it through the book and I've tried a few times, but haven't gotten to the regularity of the practice. So again, I just need to do it, right? Take it into actuality. But talking about how the importance of creating restorative practices in our day and they don't have to be that time intensive or that high skilled high stakes practice but just finding these touch points and the regularity of them to create the space and the restoration and the reprieve that we need to be more successful in the end of this and other factors and I'm sure we could think of so many for ourselves and for our patients um, that can be limiting as I continued, you know, the Google search, internet search, if I'm not allowed to use the brand name, and looking at potential cell membrane potential came up in this one, I was thinking, okay, this is really basic science and pumps and things that I haven't really wanted to think about in specific detail in many years. But the part that was most interesting to me was, again, that it creates this blockade, right? So it's talking about concentrations and voltages on either side of a cell and we don't need to get into the details i'll put the link in the show notes if you want to have a trip down memory lane or for all of you who are excellent experts at retention um, all this is probably more familiar to you and i won't attempt to get the details just right but the part from it that was so interesting to me was that it was about a boundary and it was about holding space you know and looking at diffusion and osmosis 
you know, and if there were just equal concentrations or if there were just open walls, everything would just flow in, right? And it could overwhelm and burst the cell, essentially. But there are these gates, you know, there are these gatekeepers and there are these practices of not allowing things in or not allowing them in at a certain time or without a certain stimulus. And so much of what I'm trying to learn for myself and trying to detail with my patients when it's clear that their health is compromised largely because of a lack of boundaries and not setting appropriate limits, be it for themselves, you know, with things like food or exercise or sleep or stress management, or particularly with relationships. You know, if we have patients who are just extending themselves on behalf of others and not keeping anything for their own well-being, has a massive influence on their health. And so thinking about that membrane potential and how are we holding a firm boundary with love, with care, with clear communication, with an understanding and appreciation that by doing so, we're preserving our own health so we can be better able to serve others and you know, better able to have a greater expanse of well of energy and skills and time from which to draw to be a really useful participant. So those are really fascinating things that came up that I totally didn't even expect, you know, as I was exploring this. Um, But I still loved and appreciated for where they come. Another piece of potential uh, version or definition or association with it is looking at Something like a stem cell. You know, we think about pluripotent, you know, can become anything. Stem cells. And that can be amazing. You know, we're looking at a lot of stem cell research and utilization in addressing disease and deterioration that we thought perhaps couldn't be improved upon. But again, extrapolating this, the whole purpose of this osteopathic life is to look at how we can take a principle and expand it into a different mindset, a different arena, a different application that promotes health. There can be challenges. In We're in a day and age where there is so much choice, right? We have decision fatigue happening on the regular, and that's largely from a place of privilege, right? It's amazing to even have all the choices that we do in everything from education to employment to where we can live and how we can travel and the food we can eat, um, It's all amazing, and it can also be overwhelming. And so how do we take this widespread possibility and hone in on what's best? Where is it going to be most effective? And how do we get maybe a little more specific? And how do we let go sometimes of not being able to do everything? And hand raised here, totally guilty of that, learning to say no in some areas, learning to accept that if I do want to do many things, I'm going to have to do them at maybe a slightly lesser level than I would want to. And is that okay? Maybe. Is it unacceptable? Sometimes. And it means being willing to make some adjustments, right? To reassess and get clear on whether I'm staying in tune with that which aligns with my core values. One article that came up, and I'll post this as well from JAMA, was the iatrogenic potential of the physician's words. And I spend a lot of time with my patients. I spend a lot of time with words, speaking them, writing them, 
analyzing them, listening to them, hearing the words themselves, hearing between them from my patients and my family and my friends and my athletes at the gym. And there's a lot of power there. And this one came up because, of course, I searched like physician and potential and that title came up. And it was interesting. And I'm going to read you just kind of the abstract from it and I'll post a link to the article. It says, some of the information that physicians convey to their patients can inadvertently amplify patients' symptoms and become a source of heightened somatic distress, an effect that must be understood by physicians to ensure optimal management of patient care. This effect illustrates the iatrogenic potential of information as opposed to the iatrogenic potential of drugs and procedures. Somatic symptoms and underlying disease do not have a fixed, invariable, one-to-one equivalence. Symptoms can occur in the absence of demonstrable disease. Quote, silent, end quote, disease occurs without symptoms, and there is substantial inter-individual variability in the symptoms resulting from the same pathology or pathophysiology. One mediator of this variability between symptoms and disease is the patient's thoughts, beliefs, and ideas. These cognitions can amplify symptoms and bodily distress. Although cognitions may not cause symptoms, they can amplify, perpetuate, and exacerbate them, making symptoms more salient, noxious, intrusive, and bothersome. And it's so interesting to me, you know, what I take from that is we have the power in our presentation of information to patients, to fielding their questions and answering their concerns, to amplify or turn down their sense of severity of disease. And again, the important thing to take away from here is it isn't necessarily saying it's the cause, right? This might exist, but how serious it is or how serious it's perceived can change by how we present it. And I think about that certainly with patients, certainly with my children, you know, so much comes up from the mom perspective here and, you know, how we can paint the picture and make something seem like totally not a big deal or huge and traumatic and, you know, create this big emotional response around it. We talk a lot about being in charge of our thoughts, feelings, and actions and remembering what power we have to influence that from those positions of privilege or leadership, you know, as a physician, as a parent, as a coach, you know, in those times when people look to you and they are trusting your response and looking for your emotions and your translation. And what does it mean? And how are we stewarding those words appropriately? So this one was very fascinating for me and something I think about, you know, I always try to be mindful when I speak to patients and look for those responses and help them to understand, you know, the severity of an issue. Um, But remembering, you know, how much influence that can have. And for ourselves, I can think of some moments in my own life where I've been significantly impacted by words that were spoken to me, you know, often in a time of stress or, you know, at a heightened emotional place. And really it affected me tremendously, you know, and it influenced my decisions and my sense of well-being. And so being clear with each other, you know, being impeccable with our words and doing our best to do that. And I have one last topic or article 
associated with potential that I'll cover today, staying within the time limit, was from Psychology Today, which I'll say on most of my research, I always come up with usually one link from their website, an article that is intriguing. It was about eight ways to realize your full potential. And I'll encourage you, I'll put the link in to read the article. I think it was good food for thought, you know, on how to consider what you could do and how to get about going there. But I'm just going to read you some of the highlights from the article and you can get a little more detail if you go into it. One is not overthinking it. And this, I would say, I'm massively guilty of, you know, analyzing it from all ends, which is good to be prepared and have an understanding. But sometimes you can certainly, again, get caught in the thinking and get away from the doing. Taking an intuitive approach, you know, can we trust our gut? And we've done that some in our moves, and sometimes it served us well, and sometimes maybe we need a little bit of a better check and balance. Command and control, you know, and I see this perhaps a little bit more in some of my siblings who've done a better job of staying in one place for a while and making that successful for them in realizing their potential, but considering that as an option. Collective identity and social conformity. So sometimes it's what's expected of me. Where am I? What's needed here? You know, finding our potential that way. Authenticity and agency. And thinking about, again, passion and purpose and potential. And I really think I'm going to move into that as the next podcast. So stay tuned for kind of a, not necessarily part two, but a follow-up topic. Unconscious dynamics. And seeing how we're being influenced by that which is around us. And I think about that with the idea of potential energy in those relationships externally and internally. Fate and destiny. You know, sometimes we might be of the mindset where no matter what we do, our path is destined. And we're kind of just following that which was meant to be for ourselves. And that can be relieving. That can be frustrating, you know, depending on how you look at it. But that can be one consideration if we're thinking about finding our potential complex adaptive systems and maybe sometimes this is where I feel like I fall you know is it good enough for now are we finding out you know by trial and error like these moves I talked about in my own life in the past year and then if all else fails go back to number one which was to not overthink it and so we can think and plan and strategize but sometimes we have to move forward and make those reassessments. So that is the conversation on potential. I'd like you to think about what is your potential for health? What is your potential as a physician? What is your potential as a parent? What is your potential as a human engaged in your community and in the world? And what might be standing in the way of that big pool of possibility into the reality and actualization of that potential. So this is Dr. Amelia Beeky with This Osteopathic Life, closing out episode 30. Thanking you for listening today and along the way and hoping you'll tune in next time. So we continue the conversation on potential and move into considerations of passion and purpose. Thank you for listening.